0: Good morning. Just so that you're not confused, I am not Jace Cloud. My name is Jeff Sherwood, and I am one of the elders here at Grace Bible Church, and I've had the opportunity uh, to share the Word of God with you on a number of occasions, and um, I'm very grateful for that, and thankful uh, for the opportunity this morning, and trust that you will be... Encourage today. I love Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday of the year by far. I love football. I love food. I love family. All of those things are significantly surrounding the Thanksgiving holiday. And I love all of those things. But more importantly than that, what really floats my boat at Thanksgiving is the reminder. To be thankful because being reminded to be thankful is good for my soul or as one writer said God designed us to be thanksgivers, not thanks keepers and I think that's true because we sorely underestimate the value of joy and thanksgiving to God himself as well as to us. For instance, when you think about God and you picture his character, do you think about God rejoicing? Is that one of the first things that comes to mind? Do you think that God is a God of joy? There's a story in one of the Gospels, Luke chapter 10, where Jesus has sent out 70 of his representatives and he sent them out and given them authority to preach the word, to heal the sick, and to cast out demons. And they are incredibly successful. Everything they do works. People respond to the message. People are healed. Demons are cast out. And they come back to tell Jesus what's happened. And the 70 returned in verse 17 of Luke 10. And they returned with joy. Of course they did. Saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. And notice Jesus' response. He said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. What What Jesus wanted his representatives to rejoice in Wasn't how, quote, successful they were, but how blessed they were that their names were recorded in heaven. And now, catch this. Verse 21 is what I want you to catch because here's Jesus' response. At this very time, Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth. He rejoiced greatly and praised the Father. That term, rejoiced greatly or exceedingly, is a very strong Greek term. It means jubilant exaltation. And if you were to bring it over in the vernacular, you'd translate it this way. He jumped for joy. Now, is that the picture you get of Jesus very often? Can you picture Jesus jumping for joy, jubilantly expressing praise because of what God had done and who his father is. Yet that's the expression that's given here. God is a God of joy. We see that further later on in a few chapters later. When he gives the stories about the lost coin. You know and the lost sheep and the lost son. And each time that something is lost. And the individual finds it. What occurs in those households. When what was lost has been found. Well they let everybody know. And they celebrate But the text says there's more joy in heaven when a sinner comes to faith in Christ than the joy of celebrating something that was lost and been found. Heaven loves to celebrate. Specifically, heaven is full of joy when an individual comes to faith in Christ. When you came to faith in Christ, heaven celebrated And if you're listening this morning or you're sitting in this audience and you have never personally placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you want heaven to have a party, now's the time to do that. To take that moment and say, I recognize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, that he rose from the dead to guarantee that that payment would be secure and he tells me if I receive him by faith, I can have a relationship with him. And heaven will rejoice when that occurs. You want another illustration? I'll take you back to the Old Testament. Let's take you back to Isaiah chapter 62. And the prophet Isaiah is explaining to the nation of Israel what's gonna happen when God fulfills the covenants that he made with the nation originally, the unconditional covenants, when there'll be peace throughout the land, when there'll be prosperity, when there'll be a king on the throne, and he expresses it in a few short verses, and this is what he says, and I want you to just listen to verses three through five of Isaiah chapter 62. You also, speaking of the nation of Israel, will be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. It will no longer be said to you, forsaken. Nor to your land will it any longer be said, desolate. But you will be called, my delight is in her. And your land married. For the Lord delights in you. And to him your land will be married. For as a young man marries a virgin so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, catch this, so your God will rejoice over you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, is excited to be married to his mate. So God rejoices over his people. It is the very heart of God to be joyful and to rejoice. So much so that when God describes the kingdom in Romans chapter 14 and verse 17 and gives us one sentence description of what the kingdom of God is like, he says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not what you do, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom. The essence of the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. Or as C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven." We have underestimated the value of joy to God and his rejoicing over us and his people. And therefore, this morning, I want to encourage us to be better rejoicers. I want us to become better thanksgivers so that we are not thanks keepers. And so we're going to look at the when I rejoice, the where I rejoice, and the why I rejoice. When do I give thanks? Where do I give thanks? And why do I give thanks? And we're going to look at that from a really well-known text in the book of 1 Thessalonians, where Paul wrote to these believers. And he says to them at the end of this short little book, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. When do I give thanks? Always. Rejoice is literally be cheerful. Be cheerful always. How often? Isn't that... To do that, so that doesn't work. That's not a problem. I wonder if this just came out. Anyway, all right. Always seems incredibly difficult. Wouldn't it be easier if the verse read like this Rejoice most times, pray daily, give thanks in the good times and when you think of it or feel like it? But that's not what it says, does it? It says rejoice always in everything. Give thanks. Scripture is full of exhortations for us to be continually expressing our thanks to God. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15 says, Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of lips that gives thanks to his name. Note again. It is to be continual and verbal. Continually offer up a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that gives thanks so that it's verbal, you can hear it, you know it. We need to say our thanks, not just think our thanks. <coughs> think of it this way. As parents, and if you have young children or older children or yet to have children, you'll do this we teach our children to say, thank you. You know, if they're in a restaurant and the waitress or waiter comes over and brings them their ice cream, we say as parents, what do you say? And they're to respond and say, thank you. When they're given a compliment, we teach our children to say, thank you. When they're given a gift, we teach our children to say, thank you. So what do we do And when we do that, we don't expect that their one thank you covers their lifetime. Right? If you get your child to say thank you once, they never have to say thank you again. No, it's continual. It's every time they receive a gift, every time they're given a compliment, every time that the waiter provides for them. We teach our children to be continually, faithfully thankful. Be thankful. Remember the story of the 10 lepers in Luke chapter 17? All of them wanted to be healed. matter of fact, the text says when Jesus entered the village, 10 leprous men stood at a distance and met him, and they raised their voices. So they shouted out to Jesus, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Every single one of them wanted something from Jesus. They'd heard that he could heal. Maybe they even knew someone else that had been healed. And so when Jesus comes out to town, they ask him to provide healing for them. Master, have mercy on us. And he saw them, and he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Every single one of these ten men who had this incurable disease were cured. One of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back. Glorifying God with a loud voice, fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. He was a Samaritan. Now, that's a whole nother message for another time within this text that he was a Samaritan. But what I want you to see is that one of the ten who were healed actually turned around, came back to Jesus, and said, Thank you. Were the other nine ungrateful? I don't think so. I think they were incredibly grateful. They'd been healed. I think they were so grateful that they were caught up in the blessing and they forgot the blesser. And they forgot to say thank you. Wonder if we do the same. God answers our prayers. God provides something incredible that we didn't expect that blessed us and we we forget to spend the time to turn around literally and say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. I mean, when our teams win, when our children do well, when something positive happens in our lives and we get a new job or a new car or something significant, we let people know. We tell them. Shouldn't we do the same with God when he blesses us and provides for us Shouldn't we say thank you? One of the ways that we do that is through our prayers. The text in 1 Thessalonians 5 says, rejoice always and pray without ceasing. And sometimes we get caught up into what in the world does unceasing prayer look like? How do I do that? Does that mean I always have to be in a position on my knees or with my hands raised or my head bowed? How can I pray unceasingly if I'm going through life? And we ask all these questions and we forget that it's in the context. We also tend to think that prayer is about making a list of people or things and asking God to intervene. As if the only part of prayer that's part of our lives is petition. You know, here are the people that need God's help, here are the situations that need God's help, and so we're always asking. And we forget that prayer is much broader than that. Prayer in and of itself is conversation. It's spending time with God and listening to what he has to say and expressing ourselves back to God in terms of our own words as well. And so we have this sense of conversation with God. And if we're constantly conversing with God, we're sharing our thanks with God, we are rejoicing always and therefore we are praying unceasingly because our joys are part of our prayers and we share them with God. When are we to give thanks? Always. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this blessing. Thank you for my forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for this job. Thank you for my car. And the list can go on. Thank you. Always. Where? do I give thanks? Notice what it says in the first part of verse 18. In everything. Now we know we're supposed to give thanks in church because that's what you do in church among other things. So give thanks when you're in church. But it's not just in church give thanks. It's not in a prayer group give thanks. It's not in a small group give thanks although those are good places to give thanks. It's In everything, or to put it another way, it's in the midst of everyday life. In the midst of living life, give thanks. Now, please note, the text does not say give thanks for everything. Because if it said give thanks for everything, then we would be required to give thanks for evil and for misery and for suffering and for tragedy. But it doesn't say for everything, it says in everything. We don't give thanks because we're sick. We don't give thanks because our house was destroyed by our tornado. But when we are sick, and when we're standing in front of our roofless house, we give thanks. In everything, not for everything. Let me give you an Old Testament illustration to show you what that looks like. From the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, depending on which side of the Mississippi you may have been raised on. <laughs> Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. <clears throat> though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the st- stalls. Now you get the picture of what the prophet is saying. There are no figs to eat. There's no fruit to eat. There's no cattle to till the ground and it's all dried up. There's no food and no way to make a living. It is dire circumstances. Yet, says the prophet, I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds' feet and makes me walk on high places. Why does the prophet exalt and praise in the midst of the most dire of circumstances? Because God is his salvation. God is his deliverer. God has not changed in the midst of the most dire of circumstances. Because God is his deliverer, because God is his provider, because God is his strength. He says, the Lord God is my strength. And he gives an illustration. He has made my hinds, my feet like hinds feet, like a deer. And the picture here is of a deer bounding through thickets and forest until he can get through the darkness up into a safer, more secure area he says, the Lord does it. The Lord takes my feet and makes me get through these dire circumstances so I get to a place where it's safer and more secure. And because God does that, the prophet gives God praise. The Lord is my strength. Therefore, what we have in Christ is designed to give us strength and to enable us to give God praise. So that Paul writes to the believers in Corinth in his second letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 17, and he says, these momentary light afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Now, I don't know about you. Actually, I do know about you because I know about me. When I'm struggling and when I'm ill and when I can't see through, it neither seems momentary nor light. It seems unbearable and it seems to go on forever. When will this end? From an eternal perspective, it's momentary and light. But even if it's unbearable and long, notice what the text says. Those things are producing what? An eternal weight of glory. An eternal weight of glory is where you're going as a believer in Jesus Christ. So that Paul writes when he writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 8, he says, "The sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared to the glory to come." Nothing compares to the glory that's ours in Christ. Nothing, however difficult or hard or easy or fun, doesn't matter. Nothing compares to the glory that's to come. And so as we struggle in this world, that's producing an eternal weight of glory. So that Paul can say, rejoice always. And he says it again in Philippians chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. So we can rejoice in the Lord because he never changes. We can rejoice in his presence in our lives because he never leaves us. We can rejoice in his ultimate triumph because we've read the end of the book and we know how it goes. We can rejoice in his sovereignty because his sovereignty is good. We can rejoice in his love because he always loves us. We can rejoice in his provision because he's promised And we can rejoice in the blessings that he gives us because according to Ephesians chapter one and verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Stop for a minute. How many spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ do you have? All of them. Now, I don't know how many that is. But however many it is, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have them. You have been blessed, bestowed upon. Every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ. And therefore, rejoice. Give God thanks. We have greatly underestimated the necessity of joy for our lives and the value of thanksgiving. I want you to take take you to another Old Testament text. Nehemiah chapter 8. The nation of Israel had been separated from the land and their home and they have finally been able to get back. The cities have been destroyed. The walls are in rubble. And they're beginning the process of rebuilding and it's a struggle. People are weary. They're tired. They're getting criticized from those on the outside saying it's not worth the effort. Why bother? And Nehemiah And Ezra, the priest, come to the folks and gather them together. And notice what it says in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. And he said to them, go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, send portions to him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, be still, for the day is holy, do not be grieved. So all the people went away to eat, to drink, and to send portions and to celebrate a great festival because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Get the context of what Nehemiah and Ezra are telling the folks. This is a holy day. In modern evangelical Christianity, when we hear the word holy, we get really serious. It's holy. It's way beyond me. And it's like, now's the time to get down on my knees. Now's the time to repent because God is holy and this is a holy day. But note carefully in the Old Testament, when God gave holy days to the nation of Israel, they were times of celebration. They were feast days. That's why you have all the feasts for the nation of Israel. Because it was a time to remember who God is. It was a time to remember what God had done and to celebrate God's provision. These holy days were designed to cause them to celebrate and rejoice because it's that joy that will get them through the next section. It's that joy that will enable them to live through the hard times. It's that joy that will enable them to continue at the task to rebuild the walls. And they needed to celebrate. We might think that the prophet would say, this is a holy day, I want you to eat. Brussels sprouts. You know, I I need for you just to abstain from a number of different things. But instead, the prophet says this, I want you to eat Fritos and brownies and hot dogs. Because this is a day to celebrate. This is a holy day, and it's the joy of the Lord that comes as you celebrate God's goodness, as you rejoice in who he is is because joy is strength and let me share with you just the opposite of that when we don't rejoice it's like not using a muscle for a long period of time if you have muscles you don't use they atrophy i remember when i had achilles tendon surgery and was in a boot for a month as that healed Well, it took six more months after that to get the muscle back. And when I took the boot off, it was about that big compared to the calf muscle in the other leg, which was about that big because it was being used. Failure to use the muscle causes it to atrophy. Failure to give God thanks causes spiritual atrophy. Let me illustrate for you from Romans chapter 1. And you know this text, but in Romans chapter 1, The scriptures are declaring God's revelation to people. He has made himself known, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that people are without excuse. God has revealed himself to such an extent that we have no excuse for not believing that God exists. And they knew that notice the response of people in verse 21 for even though they knew God they did not honor him as God or what? give thanks they didn't worship recognize who he was and they failed to express thanksgiving they failed to give to be thankful and what happened? they became futile in their speculation that is they couldn't think right Their foolish heart was darkened. They couldn't love right. Thinking that they were wise, they became fools. They couldn't live right. And they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image. And so they went to idolatry. And where did that start? The failure to be thankful. They became spiritually weak if you will, because they did not honor God or give thanks to God, and therefore they took things into their own minds and they were susceptible to the wiles of the evil one. And if you think that's bad, just read the rest of the chapter because it only goes downhill from there in terms of their activities and their mindset. But it starts with a failure to be thankful. When we fail to be thankful, we are in danger of spiritual atrophy in the midst of the struggles of life, and they are real, I am not trying to diminish whatever struggles you personally may be experiencing or have experienced. They are real, they are intense, and at times unbearable. And sometimes it seems that there's no way out. In the midst of that, do not lose sight of who God is. And the way that you do not lose sight of who God is is you give thanks. You give thanks for who God is. Thanksgiving will strengthen your heart and enable you to endure. When do I give thanks? Always. Where do I give thanks? In everyday life, in the midst of whatever happens. Why? According to the second part of verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, because it's the will of God. When we give thanks, it places a smack dab in the middle of the will of God. Be thankful in everything because that's God's will. Sometimes we think that God's will is this, someplace out there, I gotta do 17 different things to try to figure it out and I'm not sure if I'm in God's will or out of God's will and how do I know? Well, the scriptures tell you on a number of occasions and here's one of those, here's God's will. You wanna be in God's will? Be thankful. That's God's will for you. And sometimes it helps to understand the positive if we understand the negative. Think about what's the opposite of giving thanks. If we're verbally not giving thanks, what are we verbally doing? Complaining, grumbling, muttering. So that Paul writes to the believers in Philippi and he says, do all things, without grumbling or complaining. So how many things can we complain about? None. And how many things are we to do without complaining? All. Paul, let's be realistic. Nobody lives that way. That's the goal, though. To rejoice in the Lord in such a way that the joy of the Lord is our strength that enables us to do the task of life without complaining. It's so easy to become a mutterer and a grumbler when we forget how important rejoicing is to the Lord. Why is rejoicing so important to God? Why is he so adamant that we not be complainers but instead rejoice? Why is it so valuable? Well, obviously, first, it places squarely in the will of God. But secondly, praising God changes us. Gratitude deepens our trust. It makes it easier for us to live in faith when we can't make sense of the world. Take a magnifying glass. Those of us who are aging have difficulty at times seeing clearly. You know, turn the lights up brighter, move the page closer, get it further away, I need help to be able to read these words. And sometimes we resort to something called the magnifying glass. Because magnifying glass enlarges the letters. Actually, it really doesn't do that. The letters are the same size on the page. The words are the same size on the page. What the magnifying glass does is enable me to see them better. Praise, giving God thanks, enables you to see God better. It doesn't change God's character, but enables you to see him better. We use a phrase about rose-tinted glasses, and we usually use that in a negative sense. That person's out of touch with the reality. You know, they're looking at life through rose-tinted glasses. They really don't understand Well, on the positive side of that, what we need is thanks-tinted glasses where we see who God is and give God praise and rejoice because of his character, because of his blessing, because of his sovereignty, because of his love, because of his grace, because it places us into the will of God and enables us to endure. Ryan was five years old, and it was tradition in his family for one of the, children to say grace at the table so they're at the dinner table and it was Ryan's turn so everybody bows their head holds their hands and Ryan begins the prayer he said dear Jesus I'm sorry for the mess we made in the yard today and there's a pause and he says but thanks for the fun we had doing it I'm not encouraging you to go out and make a mess but I am encouraging you to have fun to rejoice in the Lord, to find his joy to be your strength, to be a thanksgiver and not a thankskeeper. Not just on Thanksgiving, but every day that we have breath until Jesus takes us home. A number of years ago, I came across this little paragraph. The writer said, this Thanksgiving, I'm thankful I'm thankful there aren't twice as many congressmen and half as many first responders. I'm thankful that there is only 24 hours in the day for TV programming. I'm thankful that teenagers ultimately will have children of their own who will become teenagers. (laughs) I'm thankful that I'm not a turkey. I'm thankful that hugs and kisses don't add weight or cause cancer. I'm thankful for the clothes that fit a little too snug because it means I have more than enough to eat. I'm thankful for the pile of laundry and the ironing because it means I have clothes to wear. I'm thankful that stereos and iPads and TV sets and washers and lights can all be turned off, but that no one can turn off the grace, love and mercy of God rejoice always that's the when in everything give thanks that's the where for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus that's the why I've put in your worship guide a set of practical ideas that's just a list it's not complete it's not the only thing but it gives you a start verbally out loud tell God Thank you. Solomon writes in Proverbs 17.22, a joyful heart's good medicine. You want to feel better? Rejoice more. It really will. It'll lighten your heart because the joy of the Lord becomes your strength. Make a written list of God's character and his blessings in your life and then verbalize them. Write a letter of thanks to another person. Telling them where you've seen God work in their life what you appreciate most about them, who they are, the joy they bring to your life. Have a regular family time of sharing. I am thankful for, and you fill in the blank. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It is the very heart of God to be a giver. Out of the love of God, he gives. Let's follow that model and be better thanksgivers and not thankskeepers. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the reminder and the encouragement to rejoice always in everything to give thanks, to be pleasing and honoring to you. Father, help us, encourage us. May we see you more clearly and love you more dearly and live in ways that glorify you. And I ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.